Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hi, this is your host, Nancy. Thanks for joining me today and my very special guest, uh, Dr. Daniel Potts, who is a practicing neurologist and son of an amazing um, watercolor artist um, who's no longer with us, sadly. Dr. Potts um, has an inspirational story to share with us about his father and all that he learned from he and his father's experience. Thank you, Dr. Potts, for being with us today. Nancy, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so glad you're here. Now, before we begin, I'd like to share a few things about Dr. Potts, some of which little bit we'll talk about later in the show. Um, Dr. Potts is a neurologist. He works at the Tuscaloosa VA Medical Center, so it's appropriate to have you here today on Veterans Day. Um, yes, yes. Yes, thank you to all our veterans. Um, he was not a geriatric neurologist at the time his father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, although um, I, I can say from reading the pocket guide that he wrote that he certainly has learned as much as anyone who works in the field. Yet um, the work he has done outside of his, um, what I would call your day job, would you call it that? Yeah. Um, has won him uh, many celebrated uh, awards and, and recognitions um, in 2008. Um, he was named Donald M. Palatucci Advocate of the Year um, from the American Academy of Neurology. Um, the American, uh, in, he was designated as an architect of change by Maria Shriver. And I, I think you've done some work with her as well. Yes. Uh, in 2016, uh, he was the recipient of the Martha Myers Role Model Award. Um, which chosen by the University of Alabama Medical Alumni Association, which honors physician alumni whose lives epitomize the ideal of service to their communities. Um, he also um, co-authored a pocket guide, which I will want to talk about later, for the, uh, uh, a guide called A Pocket Guide for the Alzheimer's Caregiver with his wife, Ellen W. Potts. And um, he has, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later as well, he created a foundation called Cognitive Dynamics that, among other things, makes art therapies more widely available um, to families going through this experience. Needless to say, Dr. Potts is very passionate about this subject and his interest in promoting self-preservation and dignity for all persons with cognitive impairment. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you again. Um, Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on. I'm so glad. Um, I very much want you to share your story. Um, but um, can you give us a little bit of context about why this, um, you know, what you're going to share with us is so important for those caring for others with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia? Absolutely. Um, Nancy, you know, I think, first of all, it's an honor to be with you, especially on Veterans Day. And I, I, uh, uh, I consider it a privilege uh, and I'm humbled to be able to talk to veterans and their care partners, caregivers every day and, and to uh, try to learn a bit about what they've gone through and are dealing with. So, uh, um, again, a salute to all the veterans. Um, you know, I, I think every little bit of hope uh, that we can be sh that, that can be shared with those who are going through um, or who are walking this journey needs to be shared. And so mm -hmm. I think I would, I would frame it up that way mm -hmm. uh, because we, we all know who have been there um, that there are many, many dark days and, um, and sometimes it's difficult to see a light at all, but uh, together, you know, we can make it through this and we have to share that. We have to pass on that hope. And so this, this story is about, Really, it's about hope and hanging on mm -hmm. to that. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And so um, this began with um, your father's diagnosis. How, how would you begin this story? So, yeah, it's so I'll, I'll frame it up a little bit okay. with this. You know, I'm, I'm a neurologist, as, as you said, and um, an only child. So I uh, uh, grew up uh, in a very close family uh, with, with my mom and dad in a small rural Alabama town. And um, my parents were solid citizens of the community. Um, uh, you know, I, gr- I grew up sort of under the shade of their trees uh, kind of thing. And um, I'm very grateful for that. And so dad was someone who was very dependable and very capable. So a lot of people depended on him and my mother uh, as community leaders. Um, and in my, in my view, dad could basically do anything. And, uh, you know, he, he was, we never had a repairman in the house. We, um, we, we sort of, he sort of took care of things there. And um, so um, I wasn't prepared, nor was mother to see him beginning to fail at his abilities to do those things. And so before my mother and dad moved from that small town, Aliceville, Alabama, to be close to me, my wife and I and young daughter had just moved to Tuscaloosa to start our practice, to join a practice. So I'd just gotten out of residency. So they had planned after retirement to move there the whole time. So before the move came, dad began to show some signs that we now look back on and realize those were the early signs of Alzheimer's. And, um, and I can, I can go into that a little, a little bit if you, if you want me to, or kind of move ahead, you, you let well, me know. I, I think, I think that would be helpful. Um, we, um, so often we, you know, people become concerned, even if they're um, red flags, not simply warning signs, thinking that it's normal um, to behave that way or have those changes. So, sure, um, some of those signs would be helpful. So, Dad was very involved in his church, and um, there was, uh, he he in fact had been the chairperson of the administrative board in this Methodist church for some time and had, had stepped down from that. But there was a tree in the yard, in the churchyard. It was a big magnolia tree. Dad loved the tree. Of course, he was a sawmiller. He grew up in the woods. And the tree became diseased and began to lose some limbs. And so it was a danger, really, to be in the yard. Um, so the trustees voted to cut the tree down. And Dad was no longer involved in church leadership at the time. But when he found out about it, he got upset about it and, and visited that um, <laughs> his disdain upon the leaders of the church, that was very uncharacteristic for dad. That was not a behavior that he would have typically done. He was very even keel. Mm-hmm. We, we just looked at it as impassion, an impassioned response to that. But really, I think it was this behavioral change that often precedes even the cognitive changes that, that we see. So he really hadn't shown any cognitive trouble at that time, but this behavior was different. Yeah. And shortly after that, when they moved to Tuscaloosa, he had a minor surgery. He did take another job parking cars in a local medical office complex because, you know, raised at the tail end of the Great Depression, he was about work and he valued his occupational uh, gifts. So he began to have trouble at work, Nancy. He began to lose cars, lock keys in cars. His coworkers couldn't find him. He wandered around in the parking deck. Well, we didn't know any of this. He had a couple fender benders coming home and he was beginning to have some short-term memory loss and some trouble with language. And before you know it, after this little surgery he had, he had delirium. He was in the Mm -hmm. hospital, he got delirious. Mm -hmm. He got very confused, which you know is often something that happens to folks that are are getting dementia. So these are early signs that began to cue my mother into something that was going on, but look, I was in denial. I mean, I, I think I knew I, I knew to the neurologist who knew too much. I, I suspect I saw some of this and didn't want to go there with dad. And so what happened was is dad's employer, who happened to be an attorney, a friend of mine, called one day when I was at work and she said, may I come talk to you for a minute? Sure, come on over. So she came. She said, are you aware of what's happening with your dad on the job? I said, no, please tell me. At this time, I knew nothing. She told me these things. 
And she said, you know, my father has dementia, and I think yours may as well. And uh, we've laughed about it since then as, as the irony of an attorney coming to tell a neurologist that she thought his father had dementia, you know, that, that this. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I thank her because that was the day, Nancy, that, that reality raised its, raised its head for us. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and so after that, when dad lost his job, which was devastating to him and me and all of us, then he gets his diagnosis and then we try to move on with life. So that was the leading up to dad's diagnosis. That was sort of the setup for that. Okay. So at this point, he's still, he's living with your mom. He's living with mom. Yeah. And he's beginning to exhibit behaviors, especially mm-hmm. at night, uh, that, that were quite uh, disturbing. And, and, and it came to a head when he began to get up at night and try to cook and was knocking things over, leaving the stove on, trying to get outside and that sort of thing. Sure. And mother, in, in her heroic way, humble heroic way, she was taking care of him as best she could at home. We happened to have an adult daycare program here in our town that I was actually serving on the board of directors for at that time. And, huh. um, and we had thought this may be an option. And so fortunately, we were able to talk mother into it. And also dad agreed to it because he thought he was going down there to help them make some repairs. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's the way we got him uh-huh. to agree to go. That's, yeah, that's what you have to do sometimes. Yeah. And so chapter two of this whole story starts right there, the day he agreed to go to Caring Days. And, um, and then, you know, uh, th- that's when... The lovely thing happened with Dad's art, and so um, Dad was. We we were. I was seeing loss. I was seeing losses. I was not. I was not seeing the the Papa that remained. I, I was seeing the ways that he was not the same. And and we can talk about that more in a minute. But that's what I was looking at. But the people at Caring Days, they saw potential. They loved the, the guy that came through the door every day. That's the, that's the Lester that they had a relationship with and that they, they validated, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and so that's what happened. So he loved it down there. I mean, he was, he, you know, there were probably 30 or 40 other people down there that were clients, but dad felt very special down there. And, and so that was the milieu, the supportive milieu that he joined and when he met George Parker, the retired artist who was volunteering his time down there, that's where he was coming from. He was validated. He was supported. He was uplifted. And um, George, stop me anytime you want to. I'm just going to uh-huh. talk. Uh-huh. <laughs> George, you know, your story. <laughs> George, George um, was, uh, as again, it, again, he was an artist, an accomplished artist that had been through some tough times himself and, in fact, had been, had had a cardiac arrest and had come off of a coma in which he was not expected to live, from it, which he was not expected to wake up. But sure enough, he did wake up, and once he started waking up, he began to tell people, I've been saved to use my art to help people with dementia. So he had received a message, a spiritual message, um, and this, he claimed, was the reason he was still alive. So what he did is he got out of the hospital and he volunteered at an adult, at a, um, a community outreach program at a local college, and they paired him up with Caring Days, the adult daycare center, and he came down and shared his art. And so dad was one of the first clients who got to benefit from George's art. Wow. And it touched Dad deeply, and we had no idea, Nancy, that Dad had any artistic talent. Uh, he had never drawn or painted anything that we knew of, mm-hmm. um, but he began to bring home these little 9 by 14 canvases, watercolor canvases of things that he had painted. Mother could not believe that he had done it, and he brought home a little hummingbird, which was the first thing he ever painted. Beautiful little thing. Mm-hmm. Mother said, Lester, who, did, who gave this to you? It's so pretty. I did it myself. She said, oh, you, did you trace it? Did Mr. Parker let you trace? No, I drew it and painted it. <laughs> and so that was the first of over 100 watercolors that dad brought home. Wow. And they were expressions of his 
inner self, Nancy, they were, they were things that most of them were things that he was thinking of. He remembered from childhood, they, they, these images of his father and of saws and logs and an old house and a, an outhouse. I mean, animals, woods, these were still in there. And dad got his story out through art. And that's the power of this whole thing. Well, and I think I, you, you told me in some of our conversations with each other that at that point, he couldn't even hammer a nail. I mean, he really literally was, um, I, I don't know if you would stage it, but, um, you know, he was, he was in the moderate stage of dementia, at least. Um, yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was. And, and so... Uh, and he, he knew that, I think, to some degree. He knew something was failing. He, he would tell mother, I'm so messed up. I can't do anything anymore. You know, so he, 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 he had that, that insight. Yes, yeah. And so this was, this was someone who was devastated because he couldn't, be, he couldn't give back anymore. He wasn't giving back. He wasn't pulling his weight. He, doesn't, he didn't think. But, but he turns around and begins to uplift everyone around him through the beautiful art he was producing. I mean, he was creating a community of people with whom he was the, the nidus of hope. He was mm-hmm. the one. He was the, his was the fire that was being shared and warming those around him. It's the most amazing thing. It has been transformational to realize that the one with the disability can provide, if we will listen and look and observe, can provide the energy for us to be able to be care partners in many cases. So that that's one of the primary lessons I learned from Dad. Yeah, and I wish that I could um, share right now um, some of those watercolors that you've sent to me. I'm going to try to um, somehow put them on my uh, website, aginglifenetwork.com, but do you have a place where they're displayed? Yes, um, we have a um, website called, and there are no spaces, lesterslegacy.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. And lesterslegacy.com has most of dad's art that we have for uh, available for purchase, print purchase. And also we have some note cards that, oh, uh, that have his art. So that's the best okay. way to see dad's art. Sure. And, um, and how did this impact the rest of your family or the way you saw your father? Um, and interacted with your father? Well, um, my mother, of course, was the primary care, caregiver, and um, it, it impacted her deeply because she was the one that was in the, the, she was the one that was, had boots to the ground, you know, with him. And she, mm-hmm. um, she th- this, I think, gave her encouragement and hope as well because she saw how much he enjoyed. I mean, I think she felt guilty somewhat, that he was going down there, that she was not able to keep him 24-7 at home. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, sure. and it made her feel better that he felt good about it and enjoyed it. And, of course, she loved the art. Yeah. For me, it did so many things for me. One of them is that it, it made me realize that Dad was indeed inside there and that we just had to find a way to relate to him now, like the people at Caring Days were doing. And to see, I was holding... I was holding on to the image I had in my ego of dad 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and, and of the relationship that I had with him at that time. I was holding on to that as the norm. Well, when, when someone has dementia, you know, you, you can't do that because if you do, you're going to be running into denial. You're bumping up against denial and resentment every day. So we have mm-hmm. to meet them in mm-hmm. the present, and that I wasn't doing. And so I, I tried to learn to meet dad in the present and, um, and not hold him accountable to be exactly like he was 30 years ago, but yet see within him potential and a very lively human being. Um, and, and so it, it really changed the way I look at people who have dementia. I don't look at them, you know, ju- judgmentally or uh, holding them up to something that they may not, that in their current state, they're not able to do. What I try to do is, is just be open and present uh, for the person to come out. It's still there. Sure. And 
Um, right. And, and I'm sure it's impacted your work, but as a son, I imagine that was a process for you to get to that place. It was a process that continued after dad passed away. Dad was dad. So after dad's diagnosis, um, he lived, he lived um, another probably five or six years. Yes. And, um, and so it was a process that I'm, I'm sorry to say has happened mainly after he passed away in 2007 because I, I didn't really fully understand this at that time. But I tell you, over the past, um, say, 10, 12 years, that's when this has happened to, to us. Fully. That's, that's, when I've tri- that's when I've met others. That's when I've had the opportunity to work with many, many people living with all kinds of dementia, meet their care partners, and join advocacy groups in this country who have taught me better about it. So it's very much been a process. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Well, I think that we all know more about Alzheimer's in the last 15 years. And I think the care models have been evolving um, that was pretty unique for the day program to be offering art therapy in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's been a lot of research during that decade and even more so in this decade about um, the, many, um, the many areas of the arts that can impact um, the person with dementia, and you talk about that in your pocket guide. Um, yes. The various forms of art. I most recently, um, you know, in my travels and national conferences, have become more aware in the last five years of music therapy and yes. the calming effect it can have and um, the, the joyful effect it can have for persons with dementia. Yes. The so, adult daycare program that, mm-hmm. that dad was a part of, I will say, mm-hmm. is, is very innovative and has won national awards from the Alzheimer's Foundation, uh, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, about the care that they give. So they were very much on the cutting edge, and we're thankful to, to have, the, have them here. Have they continued to explore other kinds of arts? They have, and the whole time they have partnered with um, the University of Alabama um, School of Music Therapy. Mm -hmm. So they've had music therapy students that have been coming down there. In fact, they were coming down when dad was there. And so that was a part of the of the program. They've had they've had um, dancers. They've had uh, uh, bluegrass musicians. They've had uh, uh, actors. They've they've so they've explored um, all of those. And um you know, we're fortunate to have a lot of artists in the area. We don't have a lot of therapists, though. We have some art therapists here, music therapists. But and George Parker was not was not an art therapist, and he he would say, "Look, I'm I'm just an artist." But he knew how to share, and to to in fact, looking back on it, he really actually did a great job. I think, you know, having not known much about um, much about. It. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, he absolutely did an amazing job. And the, um, you know, many communities um, don't have day programs or, um, or families who, you know, may not be able to afford day programs. Mm-hmm. E- even in uh, the city I'm in, uh, which is, you know, relatively large, um, a-, a large small town, we call it, Um we have two programs. Of course, right now, neither program is active because of uh, what's happening with COVID. Right. Um, so for those folks living at home with their loved one, caring for their loved one, um, what would you suggest that um, they might look to? And we've got a couple minutes and then we're going to take uh, our break. We're, we'll only have one break today. But... Um, what, what, what do you suggest that folks with um, someone at home that they're trying to care for think about? Well, I think one of the things I would do is reach out to the national organizations, many of whom have got 
um, uh, recommendations that they can give you, links that they can give you for mm-hmm. things to do at home. Mm-hmm. So the Alzheimer's Association, the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, us against Alzheimer's, you know, big memory centers like um, UCSF. Dr. Bruce Miller is a friend of mine out at uh, mm-hmm. University of California, San Francisco. They're all over the country and they often will be able to direct you and guide you. There are schools of art therapy. The American Art Therapy Association online can guide you uh, to some some uh, sources as well for some activities that you can do at home. And um, so there, there are a lot of resources in the schools of music therapy as well. So there are a lot of resources that you as a caregiver can do at home with your loved one just one-on-one. And I would think a lot of things being offered virtually at this point. Virtually, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love the museum apps, by the way, the, the apps that, um, you know, like the Louvre and others. Uh, Yale University has, uh, I think, a, an online a program so that you can go for a virtual museum experience, you know, that that, that is helpful, too. Yes. Well, and, and um, let's we'll talk about some of the things in your pocket guide here um, in, in a little more depth. But um, I was reading um, some of your suggestions that um, – particularly around music therapy, that you uh, put together a playlist of music from when uh, the your loved one was a teenager um, or the early part of their life. We all seem to resonate with that music um, mm-hmm. from our youth. It stays with us forever. And um, you could, you know, get a, get an old, you know, a Wi-Fi Bluetooth speaker and put together a playlist and, and uh, you know, we're all seeing things online of folks. Uh, I just saw a wonderful video on Facebook of a very elderly, um, a former ballerina, and they were playing, you know, the the dance of the fairy and um, and she just started moving her arms and doing, she was actually in her mind dancing to the music. It was really quite amazing. I saw that also. It's, yeah. it's amazing. It's incredible. It is really incredible. Is very moving. So when we come back, I'd like to talk to you as a neurologist in terms of if, if you'll indulge us, your thoughts on, how this works, the mystery of all this. Sure. Um, and and also um, talk a little bit more about your father. Absolutely. So we're going to take a short break and um, come back with Dr. Daniel Potts and talk about um, Alzheimer's and bringing art to life. We'll be right back. Thanks. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. 
Hi, this is Nancy, and I am joined by Dr. Daniel Potts, uh, and we're speaking about his experience with his father, Lester Potts, um, who uh, in the throes of Alzheimer's dementia blossomed as a watercolor painter artist. Um, it's a it's a wonderful story. Um, I I would um, as I thought about it over the break and and we talked briefly. I think it would be helpful for us to talk a little bit ab- more about. Um, your reflections in the last decade about finding the person, finding that person um, in the midst of this terrible disease. Now, you want to share your thoughts? Yeah, I, I would love to, to do that. Um, I guess the primary theme of, of the past 15 years or so since uh, dad passed is that very thing is personhood and and it's really it, it's as i tell students of, of mine and other care partners it's it's a lesson that really stretches far beyond the the, the lecture halls of dementia i mean it, it, it this is a d- d- dementia is a training ground for life and i think it helps us to learn how to be uh, human beings and so um when none of us would, would choose to be there but I think that there's a there's an opportunity to to learn how to be more compassionate, more empathetic, and better listeners, and, and many other lessons. And so, mm-hmm. finding the person in the disease. So as I told you before, I was I was good at looking at losses as a neurologist. I tried to find deficits in people, uh, be able to localize the lesion, what's causing this, that sort of thing. Um, I was not as good as I should have been uh, at trying to find capabilities that were remaining, some of which are uncovered so that we can develop those. And so with dad, when the people at Caring Days helped to find his remaining talents, and I was able to see those, um, I realized that this is really what we ought to be doing, helping people to live well within the diagnosis of dementia. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so this has become really a, a mission of, of mine and, and others to to try to give people tools to live well. And so in my practice, I try to do that. When I'm talking to care partners and others with dementia, I try to to do that. You know, there are a lot of ways to find the person. But first of all, the belief has to be, and I'm, I'm as I mentioned to you the other day when we talked, this has become a spiritual journey for me as well. And so uh, the belief has to be that you can find the person there. The belief in my mind has to be that nothing can obliterate personhood, that no disease can do that, no condition, no choice, no um, circumstance. And if we believe that it's inviolate, that it's there regardless, then we can find it. But we got to be prepared to find it. Do we want to find it? It can be painful to realize that your loved one with dementia is still there because you may think in your mind that that makes them more likely to be suffering. Well, I don't know about the suffering that someone goes through with dementia. I haven't been in those shoes. But I can tell you it's possible to have hope and and joy and and laughter and and relationships because I've heard a lot of folks with dementia tell me that and show me that. Mm -hmm. And so um, and so. I think to look to learn how to look inside. So we have to take away our judgments, uh, prejudging the situation. Uh, can't, can't, can't. We need to. We need to be thinking about what they can do. We need to find ways to tap into the person. What we know about the personhood. For instance, we knew Dad loved wood. He loved building stuff. He loved reminiscing. He was a servant. He loved um, to listen to music. He loved faith stuff. So we used those things to tap into those what I call pillars of personhood, those those traits of his identity that we knew were still there. And we tapped into those. And I think that we can all do that with our loved ones. What made you fall in love with your husband? Let's look for those things and give those things expression. And so that's one of the things that I learned. I learned that the support, the, the environment that we create for people living with dementia can it can um, enhance their personhood and their self-expression or detract from it. It's just like Thomas Kitwood has written about. You know, we, we, can, um, we can build supportive environments for people 
that actually helps the person to be present. And we can also build uh, environments that are not supportive that can detract. I love Tipa Snow's quote, uh, which is something to uh, like, you know, dementia is a thief and it's stealing things from a person. Why would I want to contribute to the theft? I don't want to contribute to the theft, you know, so we have to find ways to uh, to let let people uh, express themselves. Everybody's got a story. And people sure. with dementia need to express that story just like you and I do. So we, we need to find ways uh, for them to express it. Well, and it, it makes me think of, um, we did a um, on my show last week, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, but we talked about social isolation and how it's impacting people today. And, and I interviewed a woman who has developed a program called Thoughtful Engagement, and that is you know, an area, it's a paraprofessional area that's that's growing where you really tease out from the individual what it is that they used to enjoy, that brought them joy, and bring those things back into their life. And so I think we're talking about a similar a similar thing as um, looking at the individual and finding ways to engage them. Um, in things that they loved, that yes. they that they that brought them joy. Um, I know in some of the, as you probably do, in some of the better, um, you know, dementia care facilities, they've been doing things like that for years. So you know, the woman who was who worked as a bookkeeper, they might set up a little desk for her with a with an adding machine and, you know, or how many men still go to work every day um, or think they're going to work every day. And so setting up uh, an environment for them to, to do that. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. The board of directors at Caring Days had their meetings there at Caring Days in a separate room. And um, dad was used to being on boards and so he found something to write with and a pencil and he went in and sat, sat down to the board meeting. <laughs> and, of course, the folks at Caring Days could have led Lester back out to the other room, but they didn't. They let him stay in there. He took notes. Matter of fact, when, when he got done, uh, you know, when, when they were asking for people to do a task, we need someone to do this, Lester would volunteer and say, well, my son will be happy to do that for you. <laughs> so I had about, I had about 25 new, new tasks. To tasks. Do. But the point was they, they let him be, be in, his, in his element, you know, and come in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's just, and I, and I think also um, you and I talked a lot about um, authenticity and mm-hmm. uh, just being being authentic with the person and seeing them um, in all of their authenticity, who they are in the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. You know, when when we can shed a lot of the we talked the other day accoutrement, you know, you know mm-hmm. the, the the social facade that we have, the judgments that we that we, we render to ourselves about who we're supposed to be in, in social settings, et cetera. You know, people living with dementia may not have as many layers of that, and so we may have a more authentic person. And if we can meet them with that same authenticity, we're more liable to have a relationship. And like I, like I, I really believe, getting to the depths of something uh, transforms you. And, and, and through the process of mindfulness, which we also, also talked about, because we, mm-hmm. we make that a practice mm-hmm. as well, because I think it centers us in the present moment. We know to reach deeply into ourselves and look deeply into another person. There will be a transformation that occurs, I think, if we allow ourselves uh, the opportunity to do that. So you've strayed a little from the Western medical world <laughs> in the last decade, um, yeah. you know, and um, I mean, experiences like you've had with your father and in your family, um, because I understand there have been several mm-hmm. family members between yourself and your wife um, yes. who have had, um, this disease or other forms of dementia. And so it's very humbling. And um, and it sounds like in the last decade, it, it has sent you to, it has brought you looking at a bigger um, model than simply Western medicine, medications, et cetera. 
Yes, clearly it has. And, and I'm, I'm uh, thankful for those individuals that I've read um, and that, that have spoken to me in the conferences that I've been to, et cetera, about all this. But this has been a journey of self-discovery also. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and from a very dark place that I was in um, as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I realize that we all need to do things like this, but we need to offer this kind of, of, of um, holistic uh, care to people, um, really to anyone, but certainly those living with dementia and care partners. Um, you know, we can't cure this. And so physicians tend to, to back away from, from things that they can't cure and to um, sort of hand that sort of situation over to others who may be more mm-hmm. adept at dealing with that. And, 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 mm-hmm. and that makes sense. But we need to do a better job, I think, of not uh, uh, cutting off uh, our, our um, energies uh, when we can't cure something or treat something effectively. So helping people live well. Well, a lot of the wellness uh, practices that I now have are, are not necessarily part of Western medicine too much. You know, they, they, uh, the, the mindfulness exercises, the mindful walks that I take, I spend a lot of time in nature, um, you know, the, the prayer and meditation, centering prayer, et cetera. These are things that have been a part. So I'm a, I'm a, practicing Christian, I'll just go ahead and tell you, these are things that, that, you know, over a thousand years ago have been, have, have been a part of Christianity as well from the early, earliest, uh, you know, the church fathers and mothers, desert fathers and mothers, et cetera, in Christianity, but, but have, but were lost. And I think that, that sort of Eastern traditions have, have, uh, uh, have really helped, helped me as well. So, Yes, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. And wellness, wellness. We all have to practice. Well, I got to take care of ourselves. You know, we yeah. Naomi File. You know, the wonderful uh, personality that that has been su- such a pioneer in all of this. You know, says, listen, we have to practice self compassion. If we do not practice self compassion, we can't make it. It's very much a reciprocal process. Care partnership. We have to get back. We have to give. But there's energy going both ways there. Sure. Yes. And um, unfortunately for, yeah, I mean, this can be very inspirational, I think, for some family caregivers to hear because I, you know, I I know that they're struggling. Yes. Yes. I hear from them and interact with them all the time. Um, And so what are, well, you've mentioned a few, but what are some of the lessons others have taught you over this decade? So in a program that that we created after, so so we started a foundation, you mentioned Cognitive Dynamics, that's a a nonprofit that brings arts-based therapies and practices to people living with dementia, but we also have a program called Bringing Art to Life that we run out of that Mm -hmm. foundation, so we pair students um, both high school and college students with people that are living with dementia in certain settings, and we bring art therapy to them. And, and those kids become friends with the people with dementia, and they, they just really is transformational. They write about it, et cetera. But in those settings, I've learned so much. For instance, um, the person living with dementia that said, please, please don't complete my sentences for me. Uh, you know, and so even though she had some dysphagia, she had a hard time expressing herself, we learned to listen attentively and let her try to get her thought out. Because if we insert a, co- a comment, that may not be what she was trying to say. We've learned things mm-hmm. like don't have two conversations going on at the same time with someone with dementia. You know, one person sitting on one side, one on the other. Well, th- there's going to be forgetting about what the one person on the right said when the person on the left starts talking. So those mm-hmm. are some things. I think that that one, one of the things also is um, – listening to to what the person is trying to listen to the to the other person's soul song and helping them to sing it so we got to really listen to what they are trying to express and help them with that expression and i think we have to learn to look inside and find vibrancy and character and and uh creativity and all of that thing and let that energize us not pity the person but but learn to be energized ourselves from that, you know. I, I think those are a few of the things, yes. um, the few of the things that I've learned. 
Well, you know, although um, Alzheimer's is a progressive disease and there are some other forms of dementia that can be, um, I'm not going to get scientific with you, but, um, you know, that can be leveled, right? Correct. Am I correct in that, that that may not be as progressive as Alzheimer's um, potentially, Um, you know, what I'm thinking about is uh, right now is um, the work being done in the disability community with younger folks who, you know, um, because I've worked in that world as well, um, there, uh, so much has happened in the last decade or two decades in that community in terms of, you know, see my strengths, not my deficits, uh, work with me, you know, work with me in a more person-centered way. I'm an individual. I'm not just my, you know, my uh, developmental disability sort of mm-hmm. thing. I, mm-hmm. I think there's just a general understanding culturally that these folks are all living with disability. Yes. And so taking a person-centered approach one at a time really becomes, and not overgeneralizing every stereotype um, can be really helpful. It can. And I think you raise a great point. I think that, that the uh, disability community uh, is, is, is far ahead in many ways on this. I think one thing that's at work here is ageism. I think that, yes. uh, that, that e- even, in, even in early onset uh, dementias of various kinds, when the person may be younger, that, when they get it, I think there's still an ageism, uh, a hint of ageism there. That, that this person is is then is then looked at as being is having a disease of the elderly and 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 thereby is now in that category that we call the aged or infirm and you know i, I think we we have to not do that you know this mm-hmm. is you know i think the other thing is that they're doing a great job now thinking about rights the rights of people with disabilities yes and mm-hmm. um there are some people certainly in, in many other countries like australia that are that are really making some advances in that whole discussion and i think that's important so there there are a lot of biases that we have both as, as individuals and the healthcare community but also in our culture that we have to learn how to address because it is it is toxic uh, to to bring those to the table when we're talking about people living with disabilities, um, like dementia. Yes, well, and I um, I also have worked in the court related world, and um, there's a lot of questioning going on because historically it was this person has dementia, therefore it's progressive, therefore we have to, you know, we have to do things in a plenary way instead of a limited way and, you know, leaving certain rights. Um, I'm wondering, I I have to wonder if boomers won't help shift that. Mm and maybe it's a benefit that boomers don't like to think of themselves as old. <laughs> you know, old is, yeah. is always 10 years older than what I 10 am. 10 years old, right, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, and so there might be um, more questioning. I become concerned that, you know, we have so many, so many people living alone um, mm-hmm. and we need to be developing communities differently so that support can be there. Um, but the yeah, loneliness is a whole huge other topic. And, and, and of is. course, that, that's, 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 uh, it's deadly. It is, yes. And so um, in our, the limited time we have left, uh, yeah, we'll save that for another show. But um, yeah. in the limited time we have left, I did not mention that you, um, as a result of all of this, have become a poet. Well, I guess you written- could call me that. I don't know. <laughs> well, you tell me. I mean, you've you've written a lot of poems. Um, have yeah. you done a book of poetry? Yeah, I have. I've, I've got several mm-hmm. books of poetry that I self-published. They're on Amazon. You know, I have an, I have an author page there on Amazon.com. Nice. But I think the okay. poetry, see, that, that was because of Dad also. Yeah. You know, it lit a fire inside me. And so it has helped me continue to be healthy and to process things that I need to process. That's so and, great. Um, so, yeah, I, lo- I love it. And you also, um, you know, I keep mentioning the pocket guide, um, having looked at it. I mean, it's not only, it is a wonderful 
training um, piece of work for not only caregivers, but for staff, for anyone, uh, professionals working with those with dementia. There's just a, a rich amount of information. How do people find that? Well, and, and I have to thank you. I, I have to thank my wife and give her credit because it was her idea to do the pocket guide and, mm-hmm. and she let me help her do that. So I, I give her credit for that. But you can find it on Amazon.com, a pocket guide for the Alzheimer's caregiver. Or you okay. can look under me, Daniel C. Potts, and you'll find it there. We've got oh. Kindle and we've got paperback. So Very good. Yeah. That's great. Um, so um, I, I would like to... Uh, we've got a couple of minutes and it's amazing how much you can say in two minutes time, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I would like to end our show with one of your poems. If you're, if you have something. Well, thank you. I I, I I didn't ask you prior to the show. Sorry about that, but that's okay. I I do. I've I've got, I've got, I've written a thousand poems, hard hard to believe since dad died, but I, but I do, I have one that's in his voice that that I'd like to share that I often do share. It's called, it's called remember. And this is him talking to me. Hmm. Remember who you are, my child, who you were born to be. Let love be law in mind and heart. Let life be charity. If bandaged begging hands assailed your palisades of calm, let labor bring tranquility. Let healing be its balm. When death itself so stealthily advances through your days, let quiet faith be your resolve. Let living be your praise. Then when my spirit and my flesh unknit and I am gone, within your heart, the finest part of me continues on. So that's dedicated to my dad. That's wonderful. He's, he was a very lucky man to, to have you and your wife and your family during his journey. Um, I appreciate that very much. And I thank you for sharing your father's story with us today. Um, I look forward to to looking at, on Amazon at the material you have and talking with you again as we all move forward in this this world um, dealing with this disease, which is affecting and impacting so many people's lives at this point in time. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and for everything you are doing. It's vital work. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Well, you have a great uh a great day, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again. Thanks. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.